You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. This is a humbling experience when you look back to your first sermon you preached in this series. Trust me, I've never made it through one of my sermons, so... I feel sorry for you guys every time because every time I start one of my sermons, like, I can't listen anymore. This is, this is, this is too, too painful to listen to myself speak. But I went back to the first sermon. And if those of you who remember, it was the beginning of September. We were about to celebrate two years together as a church because we've only been in church for about two and a half years and a year of that has been pandemic. We were about to celebrate our two-year celebration as a church, kicking off a new series, it's the, labor, or the week after Labor Day, and we're going to be outside at the Adams, and we got rained out. And the first sermon that I preached, and I listened to it again, because I was like, I think I remember this. And I listened to it again. And basically, the sermon was me just venting for 40 minutes about how angry I was about everything. And I went back, and yeah, that's what it was. It was me venting and being angry for a half hour. Um, but it was framed around something where, where, where how we view, tend to view our relationship with God. Because our series, Redefining Religion, I probably should have done this before, but what I mean by religion is, is very simple. It's just what we believe about God and how we relate to him, and then, then what that, that looks like. You know, what we believe about God and then what that actually looks like in real life. That's what we assume is religious. You guys probably, when you hear This is a religious person. You have some sort of concept of what that means. You guys might have something different. We all have different concepts of what it means to be religious. And that's why it's so important when we go through the book of Luke to try to understand and redefine what it actually means to be religious. In that first sermon, this was my biggest struggle. And I think it's actually a good bookend as we end things off today, as we seek to define what that is. This is what I said. And this was my struggle and why I was so frustrated. Follow along with me if you, if you, if you, if this is you. God, I'm trying really hard in life. I think I'm doing the right thing. Why aren't you giving me what I think I need or what I think I want? Anyone else ever been there? And I'm trying to live a good life. I think my motives are good. I'm trying to lead this church. And then when the service got canceled, after like, so much planning. I was like, God, throw me a bone. Like, help me out here. That's one false way of viewing religion. And here's, I think, what the problem is. This is really important. Our false concept of religion comes from this, that it's us who takes the initiative and then we ask God to respond to it. God, this is what I'm doing with my life. I think it's pretty good. I'm trying really hard. Do something for me. Bless it. That's a false concept of what religion actually is. Because I think it goes two ways. One way is you're filled with this 
heavy, crushing sense of failure because you can never get it right. When Jesus is talking to the crowds, there are people like prostitutes and tax collectors who just felt communal shame, who just, their lives, they couldn't get it right. So if it was about their initiation and God responding to them, why would God ever respond to them? They're a failure in life. So for them, that false concept of religion where we take the initiative and God's response to us is completely hopeless. There's another group of people in the crowd that was like me. We were called Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees that were trying to do the right thing. In fact, they were, they were over, they were trying too hard to do the right thing. They were making up more rules than what God had actually said and saying, God, look at my life. Now bless it. And that end leads only to frustration because God will never completely give you what you want. False religion leads to a crushing sense of failure or just an annoying sense of frustration. And if anything, the pandemic has taught me is that if you do not correct that concept of religion, man, you're going to stay in one of those two places for a long, long time. Jesus says in our passage, which is going to be Luke 24, he says, the mission that I give you is going to be to preach or that it should be that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We'll get there in a second. But a part of that repentance, in fact, the first step of that repentance before changing your actual conduct and the way that you live is changing what you believe to be what is true about what religion actually is. That we initiate and demand a response from God. But what I love about the book of Luke as we've walked through this, as Jesus has dealt with prostitutes and tax collectors and Pharisees and scribes and all of these different, and Romans and Gentiles and Jewish people, like all of these different types of people, how he lived, how he loved, how he taught about the kingdom, and he's the one who actually brings the kingdom here in his subsequent death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what's true about religion, that God is actually the great initiator. And then we are compelled to respond. But it's so easy to get that backwards that God is actually the great initiator and we are compelled to respond to him. That's religion defined. That Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And I was passively found, not because I was even doing anything to deserve it, but that I was passively found. And those who think that it's up to them have no hope of finding their way out except to be found by the initiating action of God. That false religion is no hope for any of us. God is the great initiator, and we're compelled to respond. Look at this passage, Luke 24. This, this is going to be the final one, verse 36 down to 53. Follow along with me as I read. This is how the book of Luke ends. So listen up, it's verse 36. If you're listening to Colin's message, this kind of comes right on the end of this. It says, as they were talking about these things, and Colin said this last week, where there's two people on this road to a place called Emmaus, and they're talking, and Jesus just appears and starts asking them questions. They don't know who he is, and then finally he reveals who he actually is, and they're like, oh my goodness, it's actually Jesus, and then he disappears. And so they run to Peter and the other apostles, and they say, uh, you're never going to guess this, but we just saw Jesus, and Peter then responds, guess what? Well, he's not in the tomb. The women, we, I, we all went to the tomb. He's not there. So they're all talking. Everyone's excited. Everyone's talking over each other. You know, kind of when people are excited about things, they just talk over each other. And, and, and you know when people have a conversation, there's like a group circle? And then Jesus just appears in the corner. It says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself just stood among them. 
you know, at a party when everyone's talking in a group and you're trying to like weasel your way into the group because you feel left out if you're not a part of that group circle. <laughs> if you struggle from FOMO, which I do, whenever you're outside the circle, it just feels, you just get antsy. You're like, I need to get in that circle. Jesus just kind of appears there. And he says, peace to you. Which is about the most common response someone could ever give. In Jewish language, that's like saying, hey, Ethan, how's it going? Like every, every Jewish person said, peace be to you. Like that was the, hey, how's it going? So Jesus just appears in the room as they're talking and just, hey guys, what's going, what's shaking? Like the most common greeting possible. And understandably, in verse 37, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And I love Jesus' response, which I'm going to get to in a second. He says to them, why are you troubled? As if it's like, that's a weird response to a man appearing in a room and just carrying on in the conversation. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they, were, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to hear to eat to prove that it was actually him in bodily form, not just a ghost? I'm hungry. Do you guys have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it, and ate. it's kind of crazy, just really, like how common this situation is. I'm hungry. Give me some fish. He took it. He ate it before them to prove that I am a person. I'm a normal human being. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Mo- Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, which is a very priestly thing to do, to lift up your hands and bless the people, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And I love this. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. End of book. Of course, Luke has a volume two called Acts, which we are not going to go through. But if you want to keep reading, please feel free. God is the great initiator, and we are compelled to respond. And I love how this passage kind of bookends that truth of what religion actually is, that this man who is dead, There were rumors about him being gone. And even two people that say they saw him, he appears with the most common response, hey guys, how's it going? Understandably, they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. And I love Jesus' response. Why are you troubled? Why is doubt in your heart? As if this is a normal day. It's just a normal Tuesday afternoon. And you're thinking, if you're in that room, you put yourself in this, like, um, pardon me? Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? This doesn't, this doesn't happen in normal, on a normal day. And he proves that it's him. Not, not his spirit, not just his soul, but his body. And I, as I was reading through, I was like, why would Jesus just say that? Like, why are you troubled? As if it's like the most normal thing in the world. Here's why I think. There's a theme all the way through Luke, and we really haven't identified this too much, but there's a theme that runs all the way through Luke of this statement that rings true, just as it had been told to them. That statement you'll find over and over and over again in Luke. 
At the beginning, when Jesus is born, there's this man named Simeon who's in the temple, and he had been told by God that he would see the Messiah before he dies. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and Simeon sees him, and he says, this, this happened just as it had been told to him. When Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, he says, go find this donkey. You're going to find it. You're going to find it hitched to wherever. And the disciples go find it just as Jesus had told them. In the upper room, Jesus says, go. You, there's going to be an upper room here where we're going to have, we're going to have dinner. And they go and inquire about this upper room just as Jesus had told to them. When Peter denies Jesus, he denies him three times. And then the rooster crows. And Peter's like, oh, shoot. This happened just as he had told them it would. This is important, guys. Really important. All of those things happened because Jesus said they would happen. Not because anyone was actually expecting them to happen. Maybe Simeon aside. But no one actually was anticipating anything that Jesus said to happen was actually going to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's like, oh, right. You were actually meaning what you were saying. Now, we've got great interns at the church, but I've worked with some students before. and <laughs> I won't get into it too much. But I would give them, okay, this is what you're to do today. This is, the, do these things. And then at the end of the day, you come back and say, did you do those things? And then it's like deer in the headlights. Oh, was I supposed to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I was just making this up. Like these are the things you're supposed to do. I was meaning what I'm saying. And it was almost like every time something happened that Jesus said was going to happen, it was like deer in the headlights. Oh, shoot. He actually meant what he said was going to happen actually did happen. No one was actually expecting it to actually happen. Guys, here's the point. Because God is the great initiator, his action isn't dependent upon our readiness to actually see it happen. It happens because he said it would happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, this is actually really, really profound. Because God is the one who is the great initiator, not me, things will happen because he said they will happen, not because I'm actually ready for them to happen, that I'm expecting them to happen. The women at the tomb went to, to, to see Jesus. You know what they were carrying? Burial spices. What did they expect to see when they went to the tomb? A dead body. Like that's what you do in a funeral. They were expecting to see a dead body. And then what did the angels say when they got there? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. And then they say, remember how he told you that the son of man had to be killed and on the third day rise. And it was like all of a sudden, oh shoot. I remember now what he actually said. It actually did come true. And here again, Jesus appears in this room. And in verse 41, even after he says, touch me, touch my hands, touch my, touch my feet, give me something to eat. And in verse 41, it says, and while they still disbelieved out of joy and, and, and they marveled at what was happening, it was almost like this is too good to be true. This is too good to be true. Here's the point, guys. We would have never, none of us in this room would have ever planned for any of these things to happen except if, unless they came from the mind of God himself. 
None of us. Imagine your family sitting down and thinking, okay, so what, what does God have in store for us? Like what churches do? Like we have a vision meeting. What does God have in store for us this year? Well, here's what's going to happen. God's going to send himself down to the earth. He's going to send his son down to the earth. He's going he's gonna to suffer. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be buried and he's going to be raised again. No one thinks of that. Like that didn't come from some grand church vision meeting for what God wants us to do. Okay? It happened because God said it was going to happen, not because anyone was actually planning or expecting it to happen. This is too good to be true. If we were the initiators of action on behalf of God and God is waiting for us to take action, we would fall woefully short of anything that God had, in plan, had planned for us. No one can dream this stuff up. That's why I think we have to be careful when it comes to vision and planning. Because false religion says, okay, God, here's my life. Here's my church. This is what I want it to look like. Now go do it for me. Now go do it. Right? This is what I want. My, this is the size of church I want. This is the way I want music to sound like. These are the people that I want in my church. It's going to be awesome. Now, God, go, go bless it. Or with your family, I'm, I'm going to have a husband. I'm going to have three kids. I'm going to have the dog. I'm going to have a big house. Here's, here's what it's going to look like, God. Now go bless it. That's religion, false religion. Life the way that you've always wanted. I've been good, God. I've been obedient. Now give me what I think I owe or you owe me. And that's going to fall woefully short of anything that God had planned in your life and in your church and in your city because his action is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon his word. Verse 44, Jesus says, then he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The idea was initiated in the mind of God. It's not God, here's my plan, now you go, bless it. God's saying to us, here's my word, now you go, live it. Do you understand the difference here? God is the initiator. And we are compelled to respond, not the other way around. And yet, man, we can so easily flip those things. It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon his word. Do you remember, some of you remember the Gaithers. Remember the Gaither vocal band? What happened to them? Do they still, are they still around, the Gaithers? I'm sure they are. I haven't heard of them in a while. You guys remember the Gaither vocal band, all this stuff? I remember a song called... A few, a few, he just needs a few good men. Do you remember that song? Men full of compassion who laugh and love and cry. I don't know how I remember that song so well, but I remember it. I should sing it. No, I really shouldn't. I really, I really shouldn't. Not to bash the song because it's a, it's a nice song, but it's not true. God doesn't need a few good men for his plan to come to pass. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It doesn't need like a, like that sounds more like a call to the Marines than the will of God. Like we just need a few good men. <laughs> it's true though. As nice of a song as it is, it's not true. God doesn't need you to respond in the right way for his plan to come true. It's going to come true. Why? Because he said it would. It's dependent upon his word, not on our response. Doesn't even give them time to process. I gotta, I gotta wrap this up. We're almost done. He doesn't even give this time to process. Them to process. They're just freaking out about what's going on. Jesus just appeared and he starts giving them instruction. 
It's like, God, can you give me, a, give, me, give me five to process what's happening? No, here's what's going to happen. In verse 44, he says, these, this is what I'm saying. These are my words I spoke to you. Sorry, down in verse 46. He says to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. So this is the first one, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So he starts telling the plan. Scripture's been fulfilled. This is what's happened. Secondly, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all, genera- all nations beginning from Jerusalem so that repentance will be proclaimed worldwide starting with you guys. Thirdly, you're to be witnesses of these things. So it's not about what you've done. You are just, you're a witness to what I have already done. That's what's going to happen. And then lastly, verse 49, this is what else is going to happen. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city. So stay here and wait because help is coming. It's, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And in the book of Acts, we understand that's the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think these guys have a clue what any of that means, especially the last one. Like, stay because the promise of the Father clothed on power will be... They have no idea. Like, what, what is... We're supposed to wait for... Like, what does that look like? And it's pretty clear in Acts chapter 2 when it actually happens, they have no idea what's going on. It's just power. Like, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're... They weren't ready for it. But it all happened the way Jesus said it would happen. Why? Because he said it would happen. I'm not sure they had any clarity about what that all meant or even the time to process it. But all of those things came to pass whether they were ready or not because all of those things were based upon the initiating actions of God. Even witnessing. If you're wondering, how do I share the gospel? I love the word witness because for them it meant they saw Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They just were supposed to tell people. For us, even though we weren't actual eyewitnesses, a witness just means tell them what God has done. This is what God has done in my life. That's what it means to be a witness. And I love this. He says, wait. (laughs) Because in verse 50, he he leads them out as far as Bethany, lifting his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, was carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God in waiting for something that they really can't even comprehend. They just know they're supposed to wait. So why did they continue going to the temple? They, they knew, they knew we, we, we should still keep getting together and worshiping God. Why? If they had no idea what they were waiting for, they weren't even ready for it. Because here's why. I think they were compelled by this man, Jesus the man who was anointed to bring good news to the poor, to set free the prisoner, to make the blind see, and to set the oppressed free. They were compelled to respond because of him. Not because they were ready. Not because they responded. Not because they had, pro- had time to process. They did it because of the initiating actions of God, and they were just compelled to respond. I got to end. God in heaven, thank you so much that you came to us, that you came to seek and to save the lost. And I was passively found. Not based on what I have done, not based on how good I am, but because you came to seek me out and to save the lost. Lord, we are grateful 
And Lord, I pray that we, if there's any false religion that lives within our hearts, that we're just, we, we're filled with this crushing sense of failure or on the other side, we're filled with this annoying sense of frustration because we're not getting what we think we should get from you. God, I pray that you would take that from our heart. And that uh, this true religion would reign in our hearts that, is, that, that expresses faith and gratitude for what you've done and also eagerly waiting for what you're going to do in our lives. God, we love you and we pray for all of these things. In your great name, amen.